Well, thank you, Desmond, for leading us so, so helpfully to this point. Am I coming through okay? Can you hear me? It's lovely to be back with the people of Great Chapel again. We were last year, Jackie and I, my wife, in, uh, I think, March or February. The weather wasn't nearly as brilliant coming down here because I grew up as a boy in South Devon. I always think this is God's own country, and then I have to uh, correct myself and think, well, every county is God's own country, and you're not so special after that. It ain't so bad in Somerset. Those are the kinds of thoughts I had as I came. Uh, my text this morning, have you got it up? Thanks, Jonathan. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's just one verse. A and Paul is concluding his letter to this church in a most wonderful way. He's bringing them a, a huge blessing. And he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, I have selected this text because it describes the way that God has made us as human beings. That's the reason. I've only preached on this text once before because I don't like repeating, but I, I found that people so warmed to it that it, it really was a blessing from God. So I, I bring it to you, um, having thought a lot more about it, and that was a year or so again. Um, it's about anatomy. We all have anatomy. It looks better on some of us than on others, looking around me. And, you know, we're all a bit ignorant about it, especially when it goes wrong. There are people in rural Somerset, where I live, who still think that a terminal illness is something you catch at Heathrow. And that's just the beginning. I'm going to read you um, a report of a medical uh, study that was made at King's College Hospital in London in the year 2009. And it shows you how ignorant we are about our bodies. In a study conducted at King's College Hospital in London in 2009, 700 patients were shown diagrams of the human body, a bit like one of those things you see in the butcher shop with all the cuts. They were asked to place 12 key organs in their correct locations, a bit like the kids' game where you stick the pin for the donkey's tail, but without a blindfold this time. Now, 80% knew where their bowels and bladder were. Well, that's a rather important social accomplishment when you think about it. Over half could not locate their heart, and two-thirds misplaced their lungs, their pancreas, and their kidneys. Overall, 50% of the answers were wrong, the same proportion as in a similar study 40 years ago. Now, I ask you, friends, if we're that ignorant about the physical parts of our anatomy, is it any surprise that we know even less about the abstract bits? So today you're going to hear an anatomy lesson from a retired doctor who was once a consultant pathologist. I had to know a lot of anatomy. Mercifully, I've forgotten most of it. Um, but anyway, it's all irrelevant today. Just bow your heads with me. Father God, loving Father, creator God, your word says 
that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Please help us right now to see ourselves as you see us, not as the world sees us, not as medicine and scientists see us, but as you see us, so that we can know how to live a life of victory over sin and temptation. Now, to tackle this anatomy, we've got to go right back to Genesis. Because in Genesis, we learn that God made us in his own image and likeness. Now, I could go into that in great detail, but that means he made us with a similarity, no, a, a likeness to his own essential nature. And what is the essential nature of God? It's three in one, isn't it? Three in one and one in three. Trinitarian tripartite now if god is three and one i would argue that man is three and one too he is as paul describes him spirit soul and body interestingly some christians insist that we are bipartite they can only see a soul something abstract invisible immaterial and a body and quite a lot of theologians would argue that way i'm not going to get into that it doesn't matter a great deal but I don't know about you I feel I have a spirit I feel there's something within me that is far far more than what's in a dog or a cow or a goldfish and 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 they all have souls there's no doubt about that it's very arguable whether they have a spirit when I was pastoring a church a few years ago I had a lot of trouble with a lovely lady who was passionate about her little dog and I discovered that she was actually feeding Daisy the communion wafer as it went round. I tell you, we, we had a real spat over this one. But when I told her that that dog does not have a spirit, you'd have thought I was preaching heresy from the rooftop. You can come and bend my ear about that one later. But I think that human beings are essentially different from animals in that respect. I will give you this principle. We are spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. If you're going to argue that we've only got a soul, okay, I'll go with that so long as you'll agree with me that the soul has a higher and a lower side. The whole contend towards, the spirit contend towards the spirit, the, sorry, the soul contend upwards towards the spirit and God or it contend downwards towards the body. Whether... We are bipartite or tripart. The important thing to remember is that God desires unity and harmony in all our parts. And if we can achieve that unity and harmony, we really please him. Now let's just think. Here's the body. The easiest bit to understand. Here's my body. It's past cell by date. And in a certain way, my presence goes before to you. But... Paul says of my body that it is a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. He tells me it's a tent for living in. He tells me it's a jar of clay in which life is contained. I know that it's, it's a wonderful vehicle for getting around. I know I've got five wonderful senses by which I relate to the world. I'm conscious of the world. I know my, my body is wonderfully and fearfully made. But here are one or two other things you don't think about your body. 
Your body is not your own. It's actually on loan. Why? Because at Calvary, Jesus redeemed your body, soul and spirit. He paid the price. As we've just heard, it cost us nothing. It cost him everything. We are totally and completely indebted to him for our body. And Paul says in Romans 12, you should offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, presentable to God. In exactly the same way as the Israelites used to, to, to present animals for sacrifice, we present our bodies to God as a sacrifice of praise and worship. That means everything we're capable of, all our skills, our experience, everything is poured into us. The only difference between us and the Israelites was that they, were, they slaughtered their animals and we should be grateful for that. We come out of the experience anointed for service. So we offer up our body and we should care for it. We should not abuse it with smoking, excess, al excess alcohol, drugs, late nights. You know, we should look after it. We shouldn't look down on it. Some people despise their body. The Stoics punished them, the bodies. They think that was, that was good, that was being holy. It was not. And finally, I've got to tell you, folks, your body is dying. We are all dying in this world. The only thing is we're dying at slightly different rates. I suspect I'm dying at rather more than you. And we shouldn't forget that because in an extraordinary way, this life is just... It's an anteroom to what comes later. And youngsters, I'm trying to see how many youngsters we've got, you know, youngsters got to accept this. Modern science is so boastful, it will persuade young people they're going to live forever. Certainly they can put off and put off and put off the big decisions in life. It ain't so. Hebrew says it is given to each man to die once and then come to judgment. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. We oldens don't, you know. In old age, uh, you remember, you know, we're losing about 10,000 neurons a day, more if you live life in the fast track, as well as your hair, your fallen arches, your teeth, and so on. One day, if we're all given that long, we'll all be like, Shakespeare writes, sons eyes, sons teeth, sons ears, sons remember. Aren't I cheerful for you this morning? But the good news is that beyond that, Jesus has a wonderful new spiritual body. The old tent goes and the new one comes. But in the meantime, we've got to look after the old tent. Now, so much for the physical side. The abstract sides are far harder. I spend about 30 years as a pathologist in and out of the mortuary doing post-mortem examinations. I must have done thousands of them. It's pretty self-evident, but in 30 years, I measured, I photographed, I dissected bodies, I cut them up, I put pieces to one side, I fixed them in formalin, I sectioned them, I looked at them under a microscope. I never once found anything that looked like a soul or a spirit. It ain't to be found. 
Um, see, only the word of God can help us here. And I love the word of God that talks about the word being uh, penetrated. It's a sharp two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Bible's telling us that it's only God's word that can help us understand what I'm about to tell you. So here goes. And if you have a problem with this, come up and, and argue with me later. I love that. Let's discuss it. Let's pray over it. The spirit, I think, is the highest part of you as a human being. It's that part which connects you to God. It's that part that makes us God conscious. It's that part that enables us to actually have faith in something greater. It's that part that doesn't just allow us to hear him, but to know him. And there's a lovely passage in Ezekiel 37 where God is addressing the dry bones. And he says, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When the breath of the Spirit goes into dry bones, into dry people, when they catch the breath of the Holy Spirit, they will come to know the Lord. <laughs> That's why it's so important that we know the Spirit. That's why pastors and teachers you know, constantly encourage their people, have you received the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? That's why I ask you this morning, have you asked the Holy Spirit into your life? You have to ask him into your life. It's different from asking Jesus in. You ask Jesus in first, and then Jesus is lonely. He wants the Holy Spirit, but you have to ask him. Jesus said, keep on asking. It'll be given to you. Keep on knocking. The door will be opened. Keep on demanding. Keep on seeking, and it will be revealed. <coughs> and I would say to you this morning, you're never too old. You've never been on the Christian walk too long. You're never too weak to receive the Holy Spirit. And God is longing this morning, I know, to shower you with the Holy Spirit. If you've received it once a thousand times, he wants to just fill and refill you again because he is so generous. Remember, there's more than one Spirit. I've been talking about the Spirit of God, but there's more than one Spirit. If you don't have that spirit, his spirit, you're probably of another spirit. And that's a term you will be acquainted with. And another spirit can be anything from just hard and merciless and cruel to something possessed of by Satan. And you don't want to go down that route. So much for the spirit. The part of us that connects us upwards to heaven. The soul I find the hardest to understand. <coughs> there are 500 references to the soul um, in, 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 in the Bible, and, and they've had different shades of meaning. The soul can be, uh, soul can be a life, like we've just heard 39 poor souls perished in the back of that refrigerated lorry. It, it, it can be the personality. You can be the life and soul of the party. It can be the very best part, it seems, of the human being. As in, what does it profit a man? Should he lose the whole world? Should he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? I think 
I found the easiest way to understand the soul is, is, is a bridge. There's the body. There's the spirit. And the soul is a bridge in between. But it's clearly a tilted bridge. It connects upwards with the spirit and downwards <coughs> with the body. It, it, it can tend and go towards and be attracted more to one than to the other. What does it comprise? You'll know this bit. It comprises your mind, your <coughs> intellect, your emotions, your feelings, and your will, your deeds, your actions, your decisiveness. Every single thought you ever had originated in your soul. Every pang of anger or joy or misery originated in your soul. Every decision that you take originates in your soul. And our soul makes us conscious, not of God, not of the world, but of ourselves. It, it is. The soul is, is our self. It's our self. It's me. It, it's you. It's the person next to you. Now, this is the thing. The soul is neither good nor bad. It, it's kind of neutral. The soul is capable of sublime things. Think of Michelangelo's paintings. Think of the Sistine Chapel. The soul was there. Think of Shakespeare's sonnets. Beautiful paeans of love. The soul was there. Think of worship. Think of worship. The soul can be transported. It, 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 can, it can be just subsumed in the beauty of holiness. It can raise us and soar like that. Lost in the beauty of holiness. The soul can also wallow in sin. Every kind of sin. Do you have wandering thoughts in church this morning? Are you wondering, oh, blimey, when's this bloke going to finish? That's the soul speaking to you. Are you thinking, oh, did I, did I put the oven on regular four or six? Oh, darn it, that shovel lamp's going to be burnt. That's the soul speaking to you. The soul focuses on me, on my wants. Money, possession, reputation. It always wants more. It only has one refrain, one chorus, and that's me, me, me. And that's why, you see, this is the bit I really want to get over to you this morning. The soul was never intended or designed by God to operate independently. Just think back to Eden for a moment. In Eden, you have Adam, you have Eve. In Adam, you've got... You got the perfect body, the perfect habitat. He's got the perfect, he's got a perfect partner. He's got everything made. And he, he's totally happy and he's totally fulfilled. Why? Because his soul is submitted to his spirit. God lay beside the body that he created with it, and he breathed the Holy Spirit, the Ruach of God, into Adam's frame. And that soul was in total submission to the Holy Spirit. 
with everything that God will bring. He worshipped God, he loved with God, he walked with God, and so did the woman. In that beautiful situation, the spirit was saved, and the soul just lifted up and was united with the spirit, and the soul told the body what to do. Is this making sense to you? You get this diagram? Just, just remember these three plateaus, if that's all you remember, because I think they are so important. And then disaster. Adam is tempted. And the spirit says, I like that fruit. We're going to have a bit of that. And so he disobeys. And from that point, the soul of every man, woman born, boy and girl born, is what we call natural. It's soulish. It's instinctive. It's worldly. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man, that's the man, the woman, with a, with a fallen, sinful soul, understandeth, receiveth not the things of God, and they are foolish unto him. He cannot receive them because they are spiritually discerned. Do you understand now why your neighbour, your unsaved neighbour, is so infuriating? Do you understand why unsaved members of your family, you can't get through to them? Because their soul dominates their thinking and they can't grasp the things of God. I can remember witnessing to my one-time daughter-in-law. And I, 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 I spent five minutes talking lovingly and passionately to her about about God, it, I didn't think it was too heavy. I, I brought in Jesus and I brought in... And, and, and do you know what she said to me when I was there? She said, I don't understand a word you're talking about. I don't know whether she had a tear or two. And it didn't change. That marriage ended in tears. And uh, I guess that was a large part of the reason. Yeah. The soul has one refrain. I'll think what I please. I'll do what I please. I deserve it. And there are people who say, I owe this to myself. You know, I have. Uh, I think I'll get a new car. Yeah, yeah well, I'd rather like that, you know, that new 4.2-year-old car. Yeah, I think I deserve one of those. You know, it's not hard. That's the soulish thinking. You, you can translate that one all the way to your heart. How to solve it? How do we deal with this thing that is the essence of us? And yet, as Paul says, you know, Paul talks about a battle, doesn't he? The old man and the new man. He's talking about the regenerate soul and the unregenerate soul. Oh, miserable man, he says. I do all the things I don't want to do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. Well, we have to look at Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the model. If we can do as Jesus does, we can't go wrong. You know that little thing? Do the kids still wear little bands saying, was it WBD? How did they, what, what, what does Jesus think? It's just what I'm saying, but in a different form. Jesus, as a man, had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. He was exactly like us. He was subject, the Bible tells us, to every temptation including the temptation of sex. 
and yet he was blameless. He lived a blameless life. How did he do it? Because his spirit was totally submitted to sorrow. His soul was totally submitted to the Holy Spirit. I often think of Jesus with a kind of three-way conversation going on in his mind. And in his humanity, he must have yearned to do certain things that we would understand but were unthinkable for him. I mean, I would really have wanted to knock the lights out of one or two of those Pharisees, wouldn't you? And yet, above Jesus' soul, the Spirit is saying, not that way, this way. This is the Father's will. That's why Jesus says, I, I, I do nothing saying which the Father tells me to do. He says, I see nothing but what the Father says. I do nothing but what the Father says. He says at one point, the Father and I are one. I mean, that's the most complete, complete recipe for, for, for deity, isn't it? That's a total claim. He says this in, in all so many words. And that moment, that moment of supreme agony in Gethsemane, where it seems for a moment he falters, where is Jesus' soul going to get the better of him? He says, oh, I take this cup from me. That's a cry of the soul. But in this same instance, the spirit takes him. And he says, not my way, Father, but yours. Remember this verse, James 4, 5. God jealously desires the spirit he has made to dwell in us. God jealously desires the spirit he has made to dwell in us. James 4, 5. This, friends, is God's way of bringing us back to himself. Not what does my soul want, my selfishness want, but what the Father desires. Our regenerate soul keeps, our regenerate spirit keeps our soul in submission and our soul is then directed to control the body, i.e. our actions, our deeds, our behaviour, as God intended. Seems awfully simple, doesn't it? But how do you do it? I'd be doing you a great disservice if I didn't. If I, if I didn't finish with something in the way of application to help you, well, here's, here's three. Let, let's agree. The soul is where the battlefield takes place. And Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Then he gives a whole stream of things, and you think, ha, well, I'm not guilty of this and that and that. But, you know, we forget our coldness, our indifference, our lack of forgiveness. The many, many ways that our soulful, sinful nature is expressed. Put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Not by yoga, not by transcendental meditation, not by Vincent J. Peel and positive power of thinking, but, but radical biblical measures. These prayer, these prayer. There's an extraordinary paradox. I need my mind to change my mind. That's a difficult one. And Paul says in Romans, do not, be con do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, no, it's but be. It's a passive verb. We can't actually do it ourselves. His Holy Spirit working through us. 
You know, we can't change anything. Except maybe the calendar on the kitchen. Well, we can't change a thing unless the Holy Spirit is behind it. So when I say prayer, I mean pray. Holy Spirit, I, I cannot, I, I must change my thinking in this way. Come and I invite you in to be the instrument that will change my mind. <coughs> so prayer. You may have to make it many times a day. Use worship. In worship, in praise and worship, you see, we are exalting the spirit over everything. It's leaping from that level to that level. It's going from body level up to spirit level. And it changes. And the more we can praise and worship and really be transported in praise and worship, the more God will actually change us. And finally, I've written take authority. There's a point where we have to take authority. Sometimes in my mind's I liken my soul to a leaping dog. He's always jumping up. Yep, 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 yep. I want this, I want that. Give me a bone. Take me for a walk. Da -da, da -da, da -da. And it's, it's a darn noise. And sometimes I just I speak to yourself. Down, boy. I've heard enough. Get down to the place where you belong. I wouldn't do it in Sainsbury's, <laughs> but I sometimes do it in the car. And I can tell you it works. It brings reality to the situation. Do you know how a dog trainer stops a leaping dog from leaping up? I hope there aren't any RSPCA members because I've seen it done. Yeah, a, a big dog leaping up. I mean, a really big dog. I mean, it was a Newfoundland or something. He just trot on its coat. Not nice. But that dog soon learned not to leap again. Every time he leapt up on his master, he got his toes pricked. I think that's probably enough to finish with that. That's a terrible thing to finish <laughs> with that. That's, I hope that's not all you can remember. Friends, try and hold on to this. You'll find it can help you. You'll find it gives explanations for why we behave the way we do. That God has put in place everything we need to come through. Just close your head with me as we pray. Father God, creator God, creator of the heavens and earth, we thank you that you made us so fearfully and wonderfully. And yes, Lord, it seems so complex, but with your help and with the Bible, we can, we can find our way through. Help us, Lord, to find this unity that you love, this harmony of parts. Just as we have harmony of the members in this church, Lord, we want harmony of the parts, body, soul and spirit so they work together and not against each other so that we are a complete perfect person the way that Jesus was when he walked this earth the way that Adam was for that span of time before the tragedy occurred Lord, we can achieve that maybe not for long periods but that's our aim let us commit ourselves we ask you this morning, Lord, to lead us into these paths. I'm going to just read that again. As a blessing over you, a prayer and a blessing over the people of Great Parks Chapel. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, 
soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And now friends, uh, we're going to sing a